Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Are we recording? Yeah. Hi, everyone. This is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to It's It's a a Mystery mystery for me. Me. Mysterious fam. That's what I'm calling people. Mysterious fam. Should I think of another name? I think that's okay. Okay. Yeah. I hope you guys brought in the new year in whatever way you wanted to bring it in. We just stayed home while Norma came to my house. So did Michelle. And we watched um, CNN's coverage with Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen. That was a trip. It really is. They are really funny. (laughs) Anderson Cooper, when he takes a shot, he's literally like my spirit animal because that would be my reaction if I ever drank. I don't drink because I don't like the taste of alcohol. It's not that bad. Okay, Norma. It only lasts for like a few seconds. I know, but I just can't. I can't even do it. No, 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 no. But yeah, that's what we did. Um, We kept it low key because of the um, Omarion variant or Omicron (laughs) Did you see the commercial, um, like the footage that Omarion released where he was talking about it? Yeah, I did. I just realized I said lasses, and that's not a word. A what? What'd you say? It only lasses for a few seconds. Lasted. Okay, got it. All right, so in podcast-related news, at the end of 2021, it turns out we had over 28,000, like, 200 something downloads and the person that was closest to it happens to be one one of of Norma's best friends friends, Mari so we're gonna send her an Amazon gift card shortly but yeah that was interesting congrats Mari congrats it was cool to see where we ended up at but we will definitely have more of these in the future so that other people can participate too but Definitely just follow our Instagram so you could keep up with all of that and the latest tea at It's the Mystery for Me. We don't really have too much other podcast-related news. My birthday is on Sunday, though, January 9th. I'm a Capricorn, but ain't no capping over here, period. (laughs) (laughs) We don't cap over here. We tell the truth. Um, But yeah, January 9th. What are you going to get me, Norma? I'm not sure yet. Yeah. I have a few things, like in my cart um, I'm not telling you what website um, that I'm thinking about but I figured me doing the podcast next week is a good enough birthday gift too oh my gosh I wasn't sure if you were going to announce that to everyone because I wasn't sure if you really were going to do it now you have to do it now that you said it out loud well I have a lot of homework to do you do that. but I sent you the materials you did so people can get ready for that one you're gonna hear my voice for an hour yes and it's an hour plus it's a case that has been requested a few times and you know what's funny what? a few of my friends have requested this case really yes look at that and yep. you're covering it and i'm gonna be asking the questions i've heard about the case but not in so much details i'm gonna know every aspect of it so it'll be nice to turn the tables i guess so this is a lot of pressure a lot of pressure somehow i think you'll be okay i think i feel like we're gonna end up taking a lot of takes though so okay just be prepared to take like three hours if we need to take three Three hours hours? next week is my birthday i don't like what do you mean i'm just on monday next monday you want to film it yeah right right like next monday how are we gonna film it film it on sunday I thought Saturday or... No, that's Ryan's birthday. Our brother's birthday is on January 8th. Imagine that. I never got my own cake as a kid. It was always like, happy birthday, Ryan and Priscilla. And on top of that, they would cut into the cake, y'all, on January 8th and then make me sing with a half-eaten cake (laughs) on January 9th. And it's not like they didn't have the money to do it. Do you understand? Like, they were just like, 
this is what it is. And I cried. Remember one year, I think dad actually made sure I got my own cake. Do you remember yeah. this? And I was much older at that point too. Mm-hmm. But he was just like, yeah, just please get her her own cake. So anyways, um, but yeah. Okay. Norma's filming. I'm well, we're saying, filming together, you know, like, but Norma's I'm, leading. I'm an amateur, so, you know, give me some time. Right. To make those mistakes. Well, then you need to definitely start researching, like, now. Okay. So on to today's episode. Um, today we are discussing a case that is solved, but will still leave a lot of lingering questions. So just be prepared for that. Today's sources include an article from Chicago Reader, another one from Chicago Mag, and some articles from Chicago Tribune, The New Yorker, etc. All of these and more will be linked in the show notes. And of course, you can always visit our website at www.isthemysteryforme.com to check out more sources and pictures. For this case, we are heading back to 1998. That is the year that the majority of these events occur. And we're also headed to Chicago. West Side. Is it the West Chi-town. Side? Chi-Town. Chi-Town. Have you been to Chicago? No, you have, right? I have. I went with, for one day <laughs> with mom and dad. Literally, it came back the same day. It was horrible. Never travel with divorced parents. But anyways, back to this. 1998, Chicago. This is the Ryan Harris story. Ryan Harris was born on December 14th of 1987. According to the Chicago Tribune, her nickname was Cookie because she loved butter cookies. Have you ever heard of butter cookies? Really? I've never heard of butter cookies. What? No. I had to Google it. Priscilla, that is very strange. I know. I was Googling it because, of course, I've heard of like sugar cookies and other cookies. So I was trying to see what's the difference between the two. And I couldn't really... Figure it out. I think sugar cookies are thinner. What do they taste like? Are they sweet? I can't remember, but I obviously know that it's a cookie. Well, I, it's not something I would Google. She loved butter cookies, so they called her cookie. In July of 1998, though, it was summer, and she would have been probably entering the sixth grade later on. She was the oldest of her siblings. She had five other siblings technically six if you count her sibling that was on the way because her mom was pregnant in july of 1998 sorry i just googled butter cookies yes to remind myself what it is and i love butter cookies you do yeah wait what what do they taste like normal i can't explain it like it is kind of sweet but not really it's like these cookies I always think of it as like Christmas cookies. It comes in a round container. Mm. I usually eat it during Christmas time. Mm. They're good though. Okay. Noted. Noted on the cookies. We'll pick up some butter cookies. It's going to remind me of Ryan now. Ryan, who we're talking about, not Ryan, our brother. Yeah. Um, anyways. During this particular summer of 1998, she was staying with her godmother, whose last name was Arrington. Sources didn't really clarify why she was staying with her godmother. Her mother was definitely in the picture. Her grandmother was in the picture. I don't know if it was, like, just because it was summertime, if it was, like, you know, the thing to do. I mean, that could definitely be it, you know. There's... She has a lot of siblings, right? So it just... It kind of... It makes sense. Right. And her mother was pregnant at the time. So a lot to take care of, a lot to deal with, right? Yeah. So... She seemed like she was having a fun time there, and I'm pretty sure, like, two of her other siblings at least were there, too. Just a quick side note, the details in this case are extremely gruesome and involve the sexual assault of a minor, so listener's discretion is advised. I can't promise that I'm speaking about it in just one section. It might be throughout, right, like, explaining Mm -hmm. the case, so that's why if if that is very triggering for you, um, I would probably just skip this case. On July 27, 1998, Ryan and her friend were playing outside. They were taking turns riding a blue bike that Ryan had. Her friend went inside to use the bathroom at some point, and when she came outside, she saw Ryan riding down the block and making a left. And that was the last time she saw Ryan. It was about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Eventually, her godmother called Ryan's grandmother because she was concerned that Ryan hadn't come home yet. At this point, it was like six something in the afternoon. 
her. I mean, why? Okay, so she disappeared around 3, and now it's around 6 p.m. Yeah. So I just kind of wonder, is this a normal thing that Ryan does where she she goes out, rides the bike for yeah. a few hours, and then comes back? It seems like what kids used to do. You know how we went outside until the streetlights came on, and then when it came on, you went home? True, but I feel like it's just, you know, 3, now it's 6. It feels like it's a long A long time, time to wonder. Like, yeah. okay, for a kid not to be... And home. she's by herself too. Right. Like I think well, that's she was playing with friends, but still, I don't know. I don't know. Good point. That is a good point. But um, where were her siblings at this time? I think her siblings were home, but no article I read like definitively said their locations. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I think they were home, meaning at the godmother's house. Okay. Ryan's grandmother tells the godmother to make a police report, and she does that. She calls them up. And what's interesting is that in the Chicago Reader article, the author points out that the police officer put the godmother as the missing person instead of Ryan. How did that happen? I don't know. But it definitely slowed down the investigation. However, Ryan's mother... Her grandmother and a bunch of people, including rival gang members, apparently, started searching for Ryan once it got pretty late at night, like maybe like 8 p.m. and they didn't see anybody like the cops doing anything. Right. So they started searching for Ryan. They didn't find anything. And they started searching again the next day, which would be July 28th of 1998. And it was on this day that Ryan was found. And unfortunately, she was found deceased. And by the way, she was found by one of the search party members. And it's not anyone that the police would consider a suspect. Like he was searching with other people. Mm -hmm. And she was found like in an alleyway almost, like between houses. And there was an abandoned building nearby, that kind of thing. But it apparently was just a few blocks away from where she was seen playing the day before. Mm -hmm. Like walkable distance. I'm talking like a five minute walk type of thing was the bike near her the bike was nowhere near her and the bike is actually has actually never been found yeah that's interesting as far as the state in which ryan was found i'm gonna go ahead and read an article excerpt from the chicago mag article and this is what they said Her training bra was pulled up above her chest. Her flowered panties were stuffed three and a half inches down her throat. Her nostrils were crammed full of folded leaves. Her face was bruised and cut. A patch of hair was torn from her scalp. Her back was scraped as if she had been dragged. Her left vaginal wall was torn and her skull was fractured in several places, most likely with a brick. Well, that's pretty gruesome. Very, very Mm. gruesome. Her arms are also found, like, stretched, like, one in one direction and one in the other. Um, I don't know. The stuffed underwear reminds me of that one case. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sherita Williams? Yeah. Yes. But that was the condition in which Ryan was found. The police actually had to really, like, fight off people as they tried to like kind of preserve the crime scene because people were just like, oh my gosh. Like she was just so, like she was just laying there. Mm-hmm. And if you were walking on the street, I think you could have spotted her on the ground if you walked by there. And it also was really, really hot in Chicago in July. So her body had been there since the afternoon before. And when they found her on July 28th, it had been around, you know, the same time that she went missing. Mm-hmm. So her body had been exposed to the sun so it also had some sun damage apparently so what did the medical autopsy reveal about ryan and the way she died well a brick was found at the scene and it was bloody and they determined that the blood was ryan's blood but the medical examiner could not say definitively that it was used to kill her. Like it was a thing that killed her. They could have used it once and then picked up something else, but they couldn't say that. The conclusion was that she did die of the head injury, but that she also suffocated because of the underwear in her mouth and the leaves in her nose. However, other medical examiners who were asked about the case 
said that they actually disagreed with the whole like suffocation theory because of the underwear in her mouth and the leaves in her nose. They felt like the head injury was probably the main cause of death. The one inch tear in her vaginal wall was likely caused by something narrow, quote, like a stick, fingernail, or screwdriver, end quote, and that was in the Chicago Reader article. It was also determined that she likely died in the afternoon, so it would have been just like a few minutes, a few hours, right after she went missing, since her friend said she last saw her at around 3 p.m. Yeah. There's so many different injuries to her body, you know? Right. There's so many things going on. The the leaves in her nose, the underwear in her throat, right. you know. She's exposed. She's exposed, um, brick to the head, injuries right. to the vaginal wall. There's so many different Scratches things. Scratches on going. her back, like just. There's so much There's going a lot on. that Ryan went through before she died. And, and you're saying that this is a solved case? It is a solved case. I wonder who did this. I mean, by the end of this, I don't know if you'll feel definitive. Well, let's just get there, I guess. Oh, God, great. Here we go. So let's talk about... Who are the suspects? Right. So let's talk about the investigations. And I'm going to start with the first suspects because I think that this is so shocking that I'm, I'm honestly genuinely curious why there isn't a documentary about this. Because the first suspects, plural were two young boys, one who was seven years old and one who was eight years old. They would eventually be charged with her murder. I repeat. What? Yes. A seven and eight-year-old boys. Two boys from Chicago. Black boys. Yes. Charged with her murder. I mean, we talked about the whole, like, charging someone. Like, Well, first of all, them being tried as adults at that age. Yes, they were going to be tried as adults. What the hell? Yes, they planned on trying them as adults. Uh, I mean, what's the evidence that tied the okay. seven and eight-year-old? So let's, to- let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, Ryan's godmother talked to cops and said that a few days before her death, that there were some boys throwing rocks at her. At that point, she knew who it was, and her godmother was like, "Just take me to their house," and she took them to the house. And it was David's house. And David is one of the little boys that's charged. Okay. So the godmother is letting police know, like, listen, she said that these boys were throwing rocks at her. I know I said boys plural, but she brought her godmother to David's house. Okay. And an anonymous caller also said the same thing. But in that anonymous call, they also mentioned a second boy, a seven-year-old named Romar. David is a name that the Chicago Reader article used, and they don't know his real name because he was a child at the time. Ramar, like his name was released, and you'll understand later on why, but that is actually his name. Ramar is a seven-year-old. David is eight-year-old. So let's keep going. So, of course, this, this brings up a bunch of questions, right? Because what ends up happening is that they go into the police department voluntarily because the cops are telling them that they feel like they have details about the case and you can help us and can you help us and can you come to the station? So they end up going to the station voluntarily and then they end up getting interrogated. And before you know it, the cops have confessions from both of them. First of all, where are their parents? Right. You know, they're minors. Right. Like, literally, a seven- and eight-year-old? Yes. Being interrogated? Right. Where are your parents? I was wondering the same thing. The Chicago Mag article pointed out really interesting statistics, and this article was written in 2019 about the case. The writer says that 2% of parents tell their kids not to ever talk to cops without a lawyer present. Only 2% of parents. 16% of parents encourage them to talk to the cops, like, help them just help them and talk mm-hmm. and then 71 percent basically do nothing because they're like in fear as well but that's interesting only two percent of parents tell their kids not to talk to cops without a lawyer mm-hmm. so let's talk that's about a very small percentage right right but you know what it's because of the lack of awareness mm-hmm. 
And cops love to play into that like good cop, bad cop thing where they're like, oh, we're just going to like talk to them. Like we need your help. You know what I'm saying? They're saying mm-hmm. all the right things and the parents or are trusting say, like, them because they're authority. Or might intimidate you and make it seem like they actually have something on you. Right. They don't. But they definitely you didn't know? make it seem like that to the parents. And as a matter of fact, one of them did not come with their parent. They came with their grandparent, grandmother. Now, what's interesting before I get to the confession is that Ramar apparently had a lot of speech issues, right? The seven-year-old. And it was to the point that his mom later on does an article, like Washington Post, I think, does an article on him. And the mom has to kind of translate what he's saying because it's hard to understand what he's saying. Hmm. Now, there's no taped conversation. There's no taped confession. So it's not like we can all listen and analyze it ourselves which is also interesting. You might be like, That's wait a minute. Bizarre. Because, right. Because first of all, they're kids, so they should there should be recordings. Mm-hmm. But apparently, the like whole like recording confessions thing and recording interrogations, it did not start happening in Chicago till 2005. And so it was 1998. It was not happening. Wow. So basically, people had to take the cop's word for it. Like, That's insane. That's insane. Wow. Right. Something else about the seven-year-old that was said time and time again was how gullible he was. And we all have met seven-year-olds. We have all been seven-year-olds. You know seven-year-olds can be gullible. The psychiatrist in question who was um, just reviewing his records and also just speaking to him said that if you told this child, Ramar, that he was the emperor of China, that he would believe it. His parents also said a similar thing where you could ask him where he went that day and he might say, I went to McDonald's, but they really went to the store or something like that. That was mentioned in the Chicago Mag article. But I thought this is interesting, right? Mm Because it's like, it's a little bit more than just like forgetting. It starts to go into the, like, you know, he has speech issues and other issues. So it starts to make you question his capabilities when giving a confession, right? Right. And then the added fact that you're just seven years old giving a confession. So let's talk about these confessions. This is the seven-year-old story, Ramar, okay? I'm going to read it directly from the Chicago Reader, but it's not in first person. It's not like him saying, I, I, I. Mm -hmm. It's the cop saying what he said. He and David were throwing rocks when they saw Ryan riding her bike. Ramar threw a rock that hit Ryan in the head, knocking her off the bike. She wasn't moving after she fell. He and David each took one of her arms and moved her into the weeds, where they began to play with her soft. And that's in quotes. Play with her soft. They took off her underpants and put them in her mouth. They rubbed leaves on her, and they put leaves and a stem in her nose. They moved her bike into the weeds by the railroad tracks, end quote. And the detectives described being just so shocked that a seven-year-old would just say this with such vivid details because Mm -hmm. these details were not really out there in the public, supposedly. But when they're being interrogated, it's August 9th. Some time has passed. Everything happened on July 28th, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, "Mm, could things have gotten leaked? Maybe. Now, here's David's version. David is the eight-year-old. And I'm reading it also from the Chicago Reader, word for word. Quote, according to the detectives, this time David said nothing about a red car. We'll come back to a red car in a second. He said he and Ryan were riding bikes and they met Ramar behind the house near the railroad tracks. Ramar threw a rock that hit Ryan in the head, knocking her off the bike. Ryan wasn't moving and Ramar started to do something to her. David said he didn't want to watch what Ramar was doing, so he turned his head. Then he rode his bike home and watched cartoons, end quote. So these statements are being taken not in the same room, but in different rooms. And some of this stuff kind of overlap, Mm -hmm. right? Like her being knocked off the bike with a rock. Ramar says that he threw the rock, and then so does David. That Ramar threw the rock. That mm-hmm. she's knocked off the bike. That seems to be consistent. And that something happened, right? Like, But like I said before, none of this was taped. It was, it was just the police's word against family. 
well, it was a cop's word against the kids. By the way, a youth officer was notified after the fact, after they gave the confession, and a youth officer in Chicago is supposed to be in the room if something like this is happening, Mm -hmm. in the case that the parent isn't there. But their parents were sitting there outside. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't know that their kids were sitting in there being interrogated and confessing to a crime. But they had been there for hours. So I'm just curious. I'm like, wow, authority really can have a hold over someone mentally Mm -hmm. if you really have no idea what your rights are. Right. Like, they did a whole experiment on this. I think it's called the Milgram experiment. Didn't they talk about it on Law & Order, SVU, Robin Williams started in that episode? The premise of it was, like, if an authority figure tells you to do something, you're more likely to do it than a non-authority figure doing it. Mm -hmm. Right? So if a cop just tell you, we're going to be done soon, like, sit there. We need your help. Sit there. We don't need you to come into the room, which is what they kept telling the parents. We don't need you to come in. He'll Mm -hmm. be okay by himself. They're more inclined to be like, okay, well, the cop is telling me this, so I don't have to do it. But no, 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 no. This is like a no-no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got a lawyer up. So they end up getting charged with murder. And since they can't technically hold kids in prison, and since they were being charged as adults, right, they decided to put them in a psych hospital. So they had to stay at a psych hospital for four days. And when they were finally released, they were given ankle monitors. And the Washington Post article talks about, like, one of the kids just trying to, like, get the ankle monitor off of him because it was, like, hurting his leg or something like that. Or it's just, like, he was really confused why there was, like, a bracelet on his... But, you know, mm-hmm. it's all very confusing for a kid. Yeah. Sounds traumatic. All of this sounds really, really traumatic. I'm just saying, like, there was no issue with the interrogation being invalid because... I mean, they I mean, couldn't. the kids couldn't even really say if they read them the Miranda rights because... Right. So I'm just... How would that hold up? Right. There was a lot of issue with that and... A lot of journalists noticed this, and they took issue with it. It became a whole thing. Like, how would they even understand Miranda rights? Right. At their age. And the way they talked about it, in one article, I read that they explained the concept of a lawyer as a bad thing to one of the kids. Like, you could ask for a lawyer, but a lawyer helps bad people. Like, that's why you need a lawyer. What? They like to use those words with kids, good and bad. Like, you're a good kid, right? Good kids don't lie. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a good boy. You're a good girl. Like, they like to use that to really hone in on that kind of stuff with kids. It's interesting. Um, So, yes, they were charged with murder. But guess what, guys? The charges are eventually dropped a month later because they realized that there was semen found on Ryan's underwear, the one that was stuffed in her mouth. So why would they drop this? Because young boys can't produce semen. I had to Google this. What? I had to Google I did not this. Know that. And now if the FBI like looks at my computer, like please know it was for a case. Okay. According to Planned Parenthood, what? sperm isn't produced until puberty. So starting around the ages of ten and up. Some oh. sites even said as high as fifteen. How did I not know this? I didn't know this either. <laughs> the more you know. So that was their reason for dismissing it completely. The charges against them completely. That's insane. Not not for the botched interrogation, but because we found semen on the underwear. Right, right. You know? But I thought it was also strange that they never searched the boys' houses for blood or the bike. Because they never found it. One of the boys said, apparently in their statement, right, that he left it in the weeds or whatever, and they never found the bike. Hmm. If you're that convinced of their guilt, why wouldn't you want to build more of a case? Right. But they didn't do that. I was also thinking, like, in terms of DNA. Right. You know, was there DNA on her body? You know, they're just going off of this right. confession. Right. Um, that was clearly yes. done improperly. Right. You know, it's just... Well, we going to up the ante a little bit because then... Turns out the detectives in the case have a reputation and not a great one when it comes to their tactics, let's say that. 
So two of the detectives involved in this, Detective Alan Nathaniel and James Cassidy, well, well, let's just start with Cassidy. Cassidy had done something similar a few years ago. He had been on the force for 20 plus years at this point. Well, 20 plus years at the time in 1998. But there was a murder case going on and he charged an 11 year old with the murder of the neighbor. And the details of the case, I'm not really sure too much about, but the boy said that he had falsely confessed and that he had done it because he had been coerced by Detective Cassidy to do it. The case was in 1994. In 2002, a federal court found that the boy was correct and they overturned the verdict and expunged it from his record. But at that point, in 94, he was 11. In 2002, I mean, what? Is he almost 18 at that point? You're having me do math? 1994, he said? 1994, Norma. 2002? 2002. That's eight years? Yeah. Okay, he's 19. That's what I... Okay. No, you said, is he 18? Okay, but I was close. I was close. Okay. But that's a long time in a facility for something you didn't do. One day is too long for something you didn't do. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, they realize that Cassidy seems to have this pattern with young black boys and when it comes to like getting these confessions right because this was also not a taped confession then there's detective nathaniel he was on the force for more than 10 years in 1998 right by 1998 he had complaints for things like verbal abuse and excessive force among many other things he was also accused of planting drugs on someone Who was accusing him of this? A sergeant of the department. But when it came time to testify against Detective Nathaniel, this sergeant moved. And it's said that he felt very pressured by other officers not to testify against Detective Nathaniel. Probably code blue. I'm so confused. He was, he had to testify in front of like the board of like for police. Okay, okay. The IA people. Is that what it's called? IA? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Internal affairs. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking, like, there's a trial. No, no, no. It's not like that. Um, At least it wasn't criminal yet, right? They do IA, and then sometimes they press charges after the fact. So all of that to say, could the kids have been coerced into saying the stuff that they did? Could they have been fed these lies? I mean, it's convenient. You know, they're young. They're impressionable, right? Well, They're black. Right. So, of course, they can do that and get the case closed. And it's just like, oh, wow, they're the good guys, the cops, right? right? Because they closed the case, the we day. solved the case. We solved the case, I mean, we saved the day. You know? And I definitely meant that they feed them the lines, not lies, because I'm like, ah, was it lies? I don't know. But based off of this stuff and this pattern, I'm thinking that it doesn't seem foolproof. And if you know that your detectives have this kind of reputation, why would you have them investigating this? Like, why would you have them interviewing the boys? Wouldn't you want someone who has a clean slate in your department to interview them? Right. Is there no one else? Ruin the case for yourself. So let's talk about let's move forward and talk about other suspects and what the people in the neighborhood were saying. Right. Because this was a close knit community. The streets were talking, child, and they were saying a lot. First thing they said is a grown man had done it. A few people actually said that they saw Ryan get into a red car and they, that the guys in the red car, there were two guys that they put her bike in their trunk. So this was, this came up in David's confession earlier, right? Where Mm -hmm. he said something about the red car and then they, they mentioned like he didn't mention it again because David and his cousins were actually some of the people saying, hey, we saw her in this red car. And you might... Do they see her, like, being forced into the red car? Or, like, no. does she... Apparently, she said she knew them. Like, apparently, she spoke to them and said, oh, I know who they are, or something like that, mm, and got okay. in the car. Oh, and what also helped was the fact that the red car was actually pulled over, and I think it was the day that they found her body. So David and his cousins were able to tell the cops, like, listen, you pulled this car over. 
I saw the guys get pulled over. I saw them get like arrested for something. And so they were able to like actually find it in the system rather than wow. try to search for a red car, right? There's so many red cars. And they were able to talk to the guys. And one of them, of course, they both have a rap sheet of things that they did. One of them, he was just like, I don't know. They didn't feel like he was, he fit the profile for whatever reason. His crimes are not like aligned to this kind of stuff. It didn't include sex crimes and stuff like that. But the other one was a sexual offender. Like he had committed, like he had done a few things to kids in particular, Mm. young kids, young girls. And when he, the cops asked him about it, he blatantly lied. Like he said, he made up this whole thing about how one of his charges stemmed from like him dating a 15 year old girl. He was like only, I don't know, 18 or 19 at the time. By this time, he's like early 20s. And he was like, you know, his, her mom was a drug addict and she like got upset because I realized she stole my stash. And then she called the cops and said that like, I was sleeping with her daughter and it's like, that's why she told on me, but no such charge was brought against him ever. Like they all stem from him touching young kids, even grabbing a seven-year-old girl's butt. Are you oh serious? God. Yes. And the other one, you can this already a imagine. Person. And you said he's in his early 20s? Yes. So the police actually go ahead and they search his car and they, well, the car, right? Because the other person was actually the owner of the car. This other dude who is into all kinds of stuff. He's a pedophile, basically. Mm -hmm. He didn't own the car. But they searched the car and they found barrettes. Barrettes are just like things you tie people's hair with. Um... Like, for kids, it might have, like, different stuff at the end of it. It might have a ball. It might have, like... Oh, so bobos. Yeah, bobos. But people might not know what bobos are, (laughs) so... Yeah. If you know, you know. You know. So, they found that in the car. They also found a screwdriver. Remember the medical examiner said that she could have been, like, abused with a screwdriver? Mm -hmm. But apparently the screwdriver was never tested. It was never bagged for evidence. The barrettes were, but they also never tested that. That's a little strange. And at her scene, at the actual scene, they did find barrettes. And it's like, why wouldn't you just test this one for her hair? Because they tested the one at the crime scene itself. And, of course, like, her DNA was on it because that was her hair. Right. But why wouldn't you test the one you found in the car? So this theory does not go any deeper. Like, this is where it starts and where it ends. Like, there was nothing done to the public's knowledge about this. And... I mean, the Chicago Reader article, let me see when that came out. Uh, what, what do you mean nothing was done? This person was not arrested? No. Like, he was arrested on traffic. They were arrested on, like, traffic tickets. Wait, wait he was never charged with this crime? No, the guy right? I'm talking about? Yeah. No, he was never charged. What? No, he just had a wait. history of abusing people. Okay. You said that, uh, do they ever test the semen in the underwear? Like They what did, so we're going to come to that now. All right, so I was just looking at the years these articles were written. So Chicago Reader was written in 2006, and the writer did an amazing job at, like, looking at the sources. As far as, like, he had, it. maybe he submitted a FOIA request because he had all the documents in front of him. Um, I did not find any documents online. So 2006, and then, and then the Chicago Mag article was published in 2019 and i said all of that to make a point about something but i forgot all right the last thing i mentioned was the what DNA. about the semen all right we'll get there so then they looked at another dude a 24 year old who had like known the sisters and stuff and had gone to the godmother's house there was also rumors that the godmother was like a drug addict and had men in inside her house like i i don't know if that's true but anyways mm. this 24 year old like the little sisters recognized him too. He had been throwing rocks at Ryan and her sisters. I don't know what it is about throwing rocks. First, it was the kids doing it. Now it's a grown man throwing rocks at kids. So he was throwing rocks and Ryan actually threw a brick at him and hit him. Well, damn, Ryan. And what was at her crime scene? A bloody brick. So they looked into it, of course, but apparently he had some sort of alibi that they felt was unbreakable. I think he was at work or something during that time. But I don't know if they could really say for certain, but they just didn't press too hard on him. Just like they didn't press too hard on the red car theory, which I feel like they should have, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, what was more troubling was that he did scream at her that he would kill her if she came outside the house. That's definitely a red flag. Huge red flag. But again, like, these flags, they're not doing anything about it. These red flags are popping up and the police are just, like, blind and, like, la, 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 la. All right. So, and then, of course, there's the man whose DNA came back as a match to the semen on Ryan's underwear. And his name is Floyd Durr. So let's talk about his connection to the case. Floyd Durr? Yeah. Floyd uh-huh. Durr. Okay. D-U-R-R. It's his last wow. name. So Floyd was around 29 years old at the time in July of 1998. He was actually, at that point in time, also being accused of three other rapes. Yes, you heard me right. In January of 1998, a 10-year-old girl came forward and said he raped her. In May, right, in May 1998, an 11-year-old girl came forward. This one, apparently, he did with his brother, who's equally disgusting. So she came forward, and again, this is a second rape. The third one... Happened also sometime in 1998. The date wasn't specified. However, it was a 14-year-old who was impregnated. I do not know if she kept the baby or if... I think she did keep the baby, but I don't know. I mean, in the sense that, like, I don't know if she put it up for adoption. Put the baby up for... Why did I call it it? I don't know if she put the baby up for adoption Mm -hmm. um, or if she decided to raise the baby herself. Now let's talk about his confession. Again, this is in the words of... The detectives, because at this point in time, they were not recording confessions. This is what they say. And again, I'm taking this from the Chicago Reader, and I'm quoting exactly from it. Durr then admitted he'd seen Ryan in the yard, but only after she was dead. He said it was 7 or 7.30 in the evening, the day before Ryan's body was found. That's when he said he was drawn to the yard because he saw two shorties leaving it with a bike and wondered what they'd been up to. Ryan's body was lying face up on concrete. Her head was bloody and she was mostly naked. He got excited, unzipped his pants, and masturbated over the body. Then wiped himself off with the underpants. Sorry. Really? Norma, you have this look on your face right now. I'm just appalled. Flabbergasted. Then wiped himself off with the underpants that were lying next to the body and left them on the ground. He didn't know how they got in her mouth and said he never so much as touched the body. These are very, um, I'm not buying it. I mean, first of all, you're masturbating over someone who's dead. Right. That is bizarre. Listen, it's called necrophilia, yes, necrophi- yeah, right? Yeah, there it- are people who do it. There are people who take jobs at medical as medical examiners. Have you never? That was another Law and Order SVU episode. I've watched them all pretty it's, much. I yeah, mean, there are people this who is are, sick, but he's a like rapist that. of very young children, so right. can't really put anything past people like that. Right. Um, but it's just you. You see someone on the ground who's more than likely dead or has very serious injuries and you and just your first thought you right. don't think to like call 911 right like, like he's just like let me not do that i'm really excited i'm just not buying really not, it that's weird especially like the underwear being stuffed into her mouth like someone else is going to take he's the like, underwear I and didn't stuff put it. it in her mouth i didn't put the underwear then who did right like, you know i'm just i don't know i don't know but he I'm mentions two it. shorties but i'm just like okay at this point you know that the two kids have been charged yeah so how convenient to just place them there no yeah right so it's just interesting but of course he denies that he ever made this confession and actually a whole thing starts up with possible prosecutorial misconduct because right because the prosecutor wanted him to sign a statement with whatever he confessed and on the statement on the last page he wrote that the cops have beat him up Instead of putting his signature, he wrote that. So she threw out the last page and then rewrote it again for him to sign. He never signed. But that became a whole thing because you're supposed to keep evidence that could potentially free someone. You can't get rid of it as a prosecutor, even as a defense attorney. Like It's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that. So... Yeah, it almost like honestly got this whole... I think it could have gotten this whole case thrown out but it definitely looked bad mm-hmm. on the prosecutor's part that that even happened, right? Mm-hmm. 
But let's talk more about Durr and what other evidence they had against him. I mean, a 13-year-old girl did see him on the day that her body was found, the day Ryan's body was found, but he was standing in the crowd of people watching. And in those, in that crowd of people watching were also the two little boys. So mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. But, you know, some some killers like to go back to the scene and, and watch. Yeah. I've seen a few documentaries like that. Don't mind our... If you hear any snoring, it's our dog snoring in the background. Like, he just falls asleep anywhere and he doesn't care. So anyways, um, so they just had the semen. They also thought about the idea that maybe the semen was on her underwear before the crime even happened. Like, was this her underwear? Did she accidentally put it on, like, put on someone else's underwear? This was a theory that was, like, really, they went down the rabbit hole in this on the Chicago Mag, in the Chicago Mag article that I talked about. And the godmother said that she didn't know him, though. You know, like, you know how I said she had people coming in and out out the house, apparently. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that Ryan's little sister recognized him and was like, yeah, he's been in the house before. But her other sister said no, that they had never seen him. So was it just like an accident? You know, she's six years old. Maybe she thinks he's someone else, you know? I I mean, it's possible, but it's also possible that she was right and that she did see him. Right. You know? Yeah. But I think it was for them already there was a lot going on with the case. So I don't think they really went too deep into the theory. Like maybe the, you know, it was done somewhere else. Plus he put himself at the scene, masturbating on it there. So, you know what I'm saying? If that were the case and it wasn't like something he did, he would have been like, no, I've never, like he would have stuck to that. But he's just like, well, I masturbated there. Apparently. I mean, this is what the cops are saying, right? Because at the same time, I just thought about that. Like, the cops wrote down, like, this is what he confessed. He has refused to sign the confession. However, you know, they did initially charge him with this in April of 1999. He eventually received a sentence, I want to say in the mid-2000s for this, because they spent time trying him for all the other rapes. And just for those three rapes, he had 125 years that he was serving already. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow. So I think, honestly, what I think is that the state was dragging out a trial for him and getting a potential guilty verdict because the two little boys were suing in civil court. And if he had gotten a verdict earlier, it could have strengthened their case, right? Like, look, we really didn't do it. Y'all done convicted this fool. Mm -hmm. But they were kind of, I feel like it was a legal, you know... It, it feels to me like they were just trying to circumvent the possibility of having to pay out mm-hmm. more than what they ended up paying out, which ended up being $6.2 million for the eight-year-old and $2 million for the seven-year-old. Why $2 million for the seven-year-old? That's what I, I wanted mean. to know. I don't know. Wasn't the seven-year-old, like, the seven-year-old was the one who confessed the most, like, you know. Gave the most details, lot. yeah. But the eight-year-old got... More. I mean, it's significantly more. That's why. Yeah, the eight-year-old also was like this honor student, like just a quote-unquote, like just good boy. I don't even want to use that. But the eight-year-old was apparently known as like being this, like golden boy in the neighborhood. Really good student. People Mm -hmm. were really shocked. But I feel like the seven-year-old also shocked people. I don't know why there was a difference in amount the amount they paid. But anyways. Floyd ended up taking an Alfred plea, which means that you you say you're guilty, but you're really not guilty. You're like, I'm just doing this out of convenience. I'm going to put in a plea of guilty, but I didn't, I'm not saying I did it, but let's just end this. Mm-hmm. And the reason he probably did that was because if he had gone to trial and been convicted, the death penalty would have been on the table. Right? Oh, shit. Wow. And... I'm sure he was afraid to die. I read in an article he didn't want to see his mom to see him die. So that's why he did the Alfred plea. So they end up giving him for that specifically for the murder of Ryan and all the other charges they might have tacked on regarding Ryan. They gave him life in prison plus 30 years. So this is on top of the 125 year sentence. So he basically ain't never getting out. But but did he do it? Did he do it? An FBI profiler 
who commented about the case in the Chicago Reader article says that he thinks the boys were involved. He just feels like there were certain details that points to adolescence, like even younger than adolescence, like kids behavior, like stuffing leaves in the nose, the way her clothes were, like her bra was just like just above her breast or something like that. And he just felt like that seems mm more in line with a kid exploring versus an adult who is sexually assaulting someone. Mm. That's what the FBI profiler said. What's interesting is the prosecutor has a similar theory. He does think that the kids were involved to a certain extent, like maybe with the putting the note, like, you know, the also the same thing, putting leaves in the nose. But he says that his theory was that Maybe they were exploring their, her body and then the older guy comes along and startles them, the older guy being Floyd. And then they leave, right? And then Floyd does what he does. He masturbates. He realizes that maybe she's still alive. Maybe she like makes the sound or something and then he just stuffs the underwear in her throat and that's that. Mm. But I don't know. What do you what do you think? Do you think they were involved? Do you think I don't I would. I just wish I had the confession tape. Damn it! I wish I could watch it. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm an FBI profiler, but I'd like to just see and hear. I mean, the only people that really know the truth are the cops, yeah, because they were in the room, the detectives, and the kids. Yes, and Ryan, who's not here anymore to yeah. to speak about yeah, it. Of course, so but- and possibly Floyd, right? So I don't know. Yes, he's in prison. He actually recently asked for clemency in October of 2021. And this article was floating around a few articles about the same thing, saying like, oh, the government, the governor was going to look into it and decide on Wednesday of that week. But I never saw an updated article. Hmm. And I did check the Chicago like Department of Corrections, and he's still listed as his address being Department of Corrections. So I'm pretty sure he's still in prison. He ain't getting out. He ain't getting out just for the simple fact of his DNA being on that. Mm-hmm. Like your DNA, your semen at that is on it. Another like just as we close out, just want to also mention that Ryan's cousin was actually murdered in a park that was named after Ryan. This happened in 2013. Yes. Very unfortunate. Wow. Yes. And then Ramar, the seven-year-old, he committed a... Uh, an attempted murder, two attempted murders. And guys, this happened at when he was 15. He was 15. Right. This might be shocking, but he's actually currently serving 52 years in prison. From the time that he was 15? Yes. And he actually has to serve the 50, all 52 years or. That's what he's sentenced to. If you have, sometimes you get time served, sometimes a good behavior. So ends up cutting it down a few years, Mm -hmm. but yeah that's really sad that that's how his life right ended up and some you know some of the cops who have never apologized to the boys families by the way some of them might say i told you so right and i Mm -hmm. think i'm pretty sure it's mentioned like that um in the chicago reader article he makes the same thing like he says the same thing like they probably like i told you so but you could have honestly just sent this kid into a downward spiral where he felt like you know what? They think I'm this, so I might as well be this. Yeah. Because yeah. it was honestly heartbreaking reading the articles where the kids' parents were saying that they had to move because kids were going up to them and saying, you killed this person. My mom said I can't be friends with you. Like, you're a murderer. You're this, you're that. As a child, that's shocking. Because wow. even mm-hmm. if they didn't really release the names, we know Ramar's name, but the reason we know is because of um, him getting charged for this other thing. They just, in his own... Um, when he appeals, he talks about his story in there, like the Ryan Harris story. And I think that's how people are able to connect it. But even if we, the public at large, don't know who it is, if you're from that neighborhood, you know who it is. And mm-hmm. so you're going to have a certain perception of these individuals who were accused of her murder. Um, but her mom believes that it was Floyd. But she also, in the beginning, believed it was the two boys. And she makes a comment saying something like she would you know drive down their block hope that she saw them so that she could pin them across like pin them to a wall or something with her car because she was that angry right she was angry um 
but she she really does feel like Floyd did it. She was at the hearing when he was trying to get like released and stuff like that. She, you know, her whole thing, her mission has been to keep him in prison where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, his attorneys, Floyd's attorneys, don't think he did it. Honestly, I think that more likely than not, he's responsible in some capacity. That's mm-hmm. what I think. I think the kids might have stumbled across and might have seen something, but I don't know. When they describe the kids, guys, like, they were 50 and 60 pounds. Ryan was apparently a foot taller than them. They described these kids as being, as being like, four foot something. She was a foot taller, and her mom said she was a fighter. She would beat people's asses mm-hmm. if they bothered her. But in the moment, right, if someone knocks you off, I mean, people can just, like, suddenly take advantage and knock you out, and then all of a sudden... You can't fight back. I do feel like maybe it's it's Floyd. What do you think? I'm not sure. I feel like everyone's involved. I just don't do. know. I don't know the extent of their involvement, right? Right. Um, but we know Floyd was at least... We know for a fact that he was there, you know? Definitively that he was there. And How? Oh, because... With, well, his confession, but... Oh, well, the right, under- the underwear. Yeah. yeah. Semen in the underwear. Yeah. So, at least we know, like, he was involved, unless, you know, it's a theory that she put on someone else's underwear because... Yeah, that's the, what they thought, you know, but... The godmother but, was... Mm, had men coming in and no. out. Like, I just think that that theory is too far-fetched. Yes. And, you know, him being presently there when it happens, yes. I think that's more likely well they also pointed out in one article i believe it was a chicago mag article they talked about his mo what was his mo in the other rapes like well he did not murder anybody in the other rapes and his thing was to always take people into an abandoned building and apparently her body was just a few feet away from an abandoned building so they're like he would have taken the opportunity to bring her in the building Mm -hmm. like he did with his other victims, but he didn't do that here. He, this doesn't match his MO basically. And I mean, okay. Some people like just go off of their MO to throw people off sometimes. I've seen that before, Mm -hmm. but there's another, that's another argument. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a tough one. That was that was this a wild a, case. Yeah. Yes. Because I think it involved I, kids, you know. Right. Right. And a lot of constitutional issues there. Yeah. A lot. Definitely. But the fact that like the suspects were also kids, right. just like that really being young at the time the seven year old was the youngest person at the time in history to be tried for a murder. Like to be charged with a murder at seven years old. That's crazy. At least in Chicago. That's Mm -hmm. what they said. Okay, so... Oh, I almost forgot before we close out. Ryan's brother was also murdered in 2018. And this is the brother that her mom had. Like, her mom was pregnant with at the time. Oh, that's so sad. Yes, he was murdered. Yes. Yeah. It was just like a random shooting, an argument between people and he ended up being killed this was yeah back in 2018 so that's very sad it's a lot it's a lot for her mom to go through and stuff and so that's why she's still fighting to make sure that you know floyd just stays in prison i mean i don't understand why he keep fighting at this point he's already in prison for 125 years for the other thing i think whoever did it either way like whether it's floyd whether it's one of the boys something they got to think about Mm mm-hmm Something that comes into your mind. I doubt it's something that you can just, like, erase and put behind you. No, it haunts you. It'll haunt you. We send well wishes to Ryan's family and loved ones who had to endure this tragedy and continue to, you know, every day. Just wish you peace and healing. And that concludes another episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Tune in next week where Norma says that she's taking over. Because it's my birthday week. Oh, Lord. Wish wish me luck, guys. Yes, we all send you all the luck. We send you all the good juju because that would be the ultimate birthday gift. You leading a case. 
All right. Let's see. <laughs> see y'all next Tuesday. Stay Bye. safe out here, too. Bye.